Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of Dean Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my flump friend. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah, flumps are awesome. I, yeah, I love flumps. They're like some, one of the cutest, cutest like monsters, quote unquote, in D and D. Exactly. You Other know than what? the baby yeti. Oh, that thing's adorable too. Yeah. But yeah, no, flumps are great. If you don't know what we're talking about, look one up and try to figure out some way to get it into your campaign. Uh, I already know how they're getting into mine, so I'm. I'm oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, spoilers for my my players. Forget I said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, tonight we are going to uh, do a few things. First off, we're going to talk about all about note taking. Yes. Uh, very, very important topic. Uh, and then we're going to get to a few email questions before we kind of go over some of the stuff that's been happening in our games that both of us are extremely excited to talk about. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. Uh, but first, <laughs> I almost but first, into it. I, yeah. But first, uh, we're going to talk about note taking both from a player and a DM perspective. Um, so, note taking it's the thing that you hated doing when you were in school. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that for D&D, it's not, not, necessarily required but always extremely useful yes extremely useful so let's let's start talking about the dm side of things and you you may go ryan my players should be the ones taking notes but ryan my players should be the ones taking notes it's true ben your players should take notes (laughs) that is that is an excellent point but as a dm taking notes can be extremely important for you too um it's what I usually like to do is um, in person. I have, when I, when I meet in person, I have a notepad that I bring around that I can jot stuff down in quickly when I'm playing over discord or zoom or something like that. I'll always have just like uh, either like a Google doc blank Google doc up or like a notes Google doc or a notepad or just some, some sort of throwaway type thing that I can quickly jot down um, different things. So let's just say uh, you improvise, you're, you're going along, you improvise a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to remember what that character was, what you named them, what they looked like, <laughs> uh, potentially what voice in, or inflection that you used for them. Uh, so you can quickly jot down like Samuel Sampson was his name and uh, the male human and he has a deep gravelly voice. Uh, He's young. He's got a pot belly and uh, they met him. And he, when he sold him some drugs or something like that. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and so uh, it's stuff like that. Cause then if for one, they ever comes up again, uh, ends up being a character that your players like, which happens more often seemingly from the ones that you just randomly make up 
versus the ones that you actually plan out. Uh, you'll have those notes that then you can take once you're done with your session and transcribe into whatever your campaign mm -hmm. DM notes or documents or whatever are so that you can kind of make that, make that permanent. Exactly. I mean, just to, to give you an example, um, I have just, a, I, I pulled up my most recent session and uh, until I actually get the, the quick jot down notes that I need to know for, you know, like for forever, I'll usually copy them and then paste them into the next session. So that I just kind of have them as like a, a quick look up or, or anything if I need. And one of them is uh, on the fly, a, a multiplication table that I had to make up for, you know, these lost orbs that my, my campaign has been, you know, working with. Um, so I'm like, okay, at this level, it, it's this much, you know, like you take the dice and multiply by this, this much, multiply everything like that. Um, all the way to, I had to take down notes and write down the voices and personalities of the horses of the group, because we have a bard who likes to speak with animals. <laughs> So like the one note I have right there, events. yeah. Apple is a valley girl. Uh, Buttercup is quiet and sweet, you know, <laughs> just like little things like that. Um, as well as, uh, you know, just random things that my players ask, like how many languages are in the world? So I'm like, okay. And kind of did the math in my head of, of the different languages that I'm aware of. And I'm like, okay, there's 27 languages. So now I know that there's that many now. <laughs> Um, one time they asked, you know, what, what's the night sky look like? How many moons does this planet have? And I blurted out three and now I'm making lore and backstory to the moons because someone asked how many are there? So you, you, you take those little bits and it turns out that they can actually turn into something great too, which is one of the best things about, um, just the, the tiniest little things, the, the little time or interactions and everything that the players contribute to the game. You know, we always talk about how Dungeons and Dragons is collaborative storytelling. And this is one of the ways that it is. Sure, you can create as much of the world as you want, but little bits here and there that your players bring to the table, uh, questions and answers that, you, that they ask that you have, it, it grows and expands the world into something even more living than you just kind of had in your mind. While you may know what's going on a continent away because, you know, you have a rough idea of what's on going on in the world, the tiniest little spark of just, you know, question or intrigue or anything from them could expand upon that tenfold because of one thing that you jotted down as a, oh, that's an interesting idea or this is something that's kind of neat. So it's always very important that you take care of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's a great point. Um, I know in the past many times that during situations that have come up, uh, maybe for things that I've had a, a small inkling of, or maybe for things that uh, inspiration just hit me as the question came up. Because mm -hmm. I, I've, I know some, sometimes some of my like, best ideas or best improvs have just hit right then and have become like big story points or potential big story points. Um, and so when it, and sometimes you get in the groove and you're just like, wow, this is good. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is, this is actually good stuff. They're, they're, they're liking it. And it's just, it's just flowing well. 
write that down. <laughs> that big piece of lore you just dropped on them, <laughs> write it down because it might be important later. Or that, that big thing that you, just, that you just took that tiny idea you have and you just expounded upon it at the moment, write it down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and try and do that whenever you get a small break or if there's ever a time you're really you're you're really going and a lot of stuff happens do not be afraid to be like okay guys let's take uh like a 5 minute back bathroom break or something like that and exactly you can do that and then that gives you a second to do a little note consolidation too there's nothing wrong with that because you want to make sure that you have that important stuff written down for later. Exactly. On top of that, one of the biggest reasons to write down your notes is because the players will remember them. Even if you don't, Uh, there was a whole back and forth kind of me trying to let's just get past this trying to determine if if uh in a previous session someone had taken a key or a key ring very different things on what it could possibly be (laughs) and it was an interesting thing i'm just like okay they have the key oh don't you mean the key ring because they they, you know they had multiple keys i'm like sure let's do that i'm like no and discussion ensued for like 10 minutes over the tiniest little thing that I just, if I had just jotted it down very simply, it never would have happened. It, it wouldn't have been, you know, small little gaff on my part, but even more so um, one of the things that you always want to make sure that you, you, you write down that, that you know is going to be brought back up or, you know, that's going to remember is things that come out of the blue that are, you know, just kind of throwaway things that you may think is something that, you know, it's not pertaining to the main quest line or story that you are working on, but understand that almost everything you say could be taken as this could be important. Now, granted to all of my players, everything I say is important. Okay. Seriously, not, no, not everything. (laughs) It's one of those things where just an, an offhand comment about something again, could turn into the key that, that, that your players have found that links all these things together to this giant conspiracy that you just kind of threw away because you're just like, oh yeah, uh, Jack works in the, uh, the, the oil refinery. Who knows? You know, if you talk about Jack or like Brian was saying, you know, if you create a brand new NPC, write down the information about them. If you expand upon them at all, write down. Uh, I created a, an entire relationship and brand new love interest for a character just because of a single question that someone came up with, you know, and then, Hey, guess what? I have them in the story going forward right now. They are both together working in an inn that the dude owns because the, the former owner, she died, you know, Hey, she she was out of the blue, but now she's a living being in my world. And and she's happy. It, yeah, they both are actually very happy right now. <laughs> it's been a long time since the party's seen them, but they're doing great. I'm glad. I'm glad we can get that that update behind the <laughs> behind the curtain update. Don't worry, guys. That couple that you, you saw a long time ago, they're doing okay. Yeah, exactly. 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 Um and to, to kind of transition a little bit, 
to to the player side of things um good note taking is a massive help to your dm Mm -hmm. because as we just talked talked about and as we say many many times the dm is juggling many hats spinning many plates mm-hmm. <laughs> weaving many tails uh keeping track of monster abilities and health and initiative and all the different rules for the game they have a lot going on as a player you taking good notes is extremely helpful for them because then sometimes when situations come up and someone says, do you remember what that person's name is? Or do you remember what that location was or what the name of this or that is? One of the players can then chime in and go, mm-hmm. Oh, it was this. And then as a, as a DM, you can be like, yes, that's right. And <laughs> make a note <laughs> if, <laughs> if you've forgotten or don't have time to, to look it up or whatever. Um, that's just one of the many things as a player note-taking can do to, to help your DM. But it's also incredibly helpful for you and your party too. Yeah. And, you know, going off of uh, being helpful for the DM, it can actually help save, you know, some potential you know, like story spoiler or something along those lines, because if you're trying to remember something and the DM's trying to help you out with it, they may give you the wrong thing and kind of lead you down a path that, I mean, not that, that they weren't intending because again, you know, depending on how you play, you, you give as much um, agency to the players as possible, but at the same time, don't, you know, just be all like, oh, well, obviously you think this because I'm railroading you and this is the way that it's going to go. If you are able to kind of pull information out where, you know, uh, Joey over there is trying to remember um, three towns ago, who is this person who we got our horses from? I don't know. That seems like a very minute detail of something that probably won't be game breaking or changing, but even so you never know. And here's the thing there's always someone in your friend group who remembers everything. You can be that person. Yeah, you, you too can be that person. <laughs> um, taking notes is also incredibly helpful. I, I, I wrote a note in, in our show notes. Um, <laughs> sometimes it, it, I have to be careful, careful how I word this, but sometimes, sometimes you can be penalized for not having notes. And I say that in, in the fact of there's, it's, it, there's a, a fine line between what your character remembers or what your character knows and what you know. Mm-hmm. So if a DM tells you something important and you don't write it down and then it comes up later and then you're, you're trying to recall it or whatever, it's a lot more work on the DM to have to come feedback absolutely everything they already told you mm-hmm. just because your character wouldn't know it. 
Does it, does that make sense? Yeah. It, it's the idea of, um, you know, I was standing in on this meeting of two diplomats and they were talking back and forth about these trade negotiations. I didn't write a single thing down. So what were the details again? Yeah. And, and so then, then the DM has to go back, take all this time to re-explain everything, not in character that was, that was told in character. Mm -hmm. And so it, it can, it can take time away from the game. It can break some break immersion somewhat. And so, and it'd be much better if the player had just written it down in the first place. Exactly. And And so it's, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no. um, I had just sidestepping this to similar things, but not exactly the same. So go for it. Like there's, there's, there's different types of note takers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some groups have one person that takes all the notes and maybe that person likes to. And if, if you have a person in your group, that's just like, I am the note taker guys, (laughs) I'm going to take all the notes more power to them. That's awesome. You do that. Personally, what I recommend to people is take notes on the things that affect your character. Yeah. Not necessarily what affects somebody else's character, unless it's also important to your character or it's important that your character keep that in mind or know about it. Um, but I, I actually purposely try to not take notes for scenes that my character is not in or conversations that my character is not a part of because it helps keep that um, kind of metagaming aspect out of it. And it also keeps me from using that information as though I was actually there. Yeah. Now, if you're someone who loves meticulous note-taking, who really wants to have you know, every single thing that happened journaled and chronicled and, 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 you know, notarized even. Um, but you still want to have, you know, that sort of metagaming safety. There's a couple different ways you can always do this too. I mean, if you're in person and, you know, you're just writing everything out, consider having, you know, maybe two different pens, you know, one color is, this is what my character knows. Another color could be, um, Oh, uh, this is what uh, Johnny and uh, Michelle were, were talking about in their RP because yeah. yeah, The the way I look at it is, is, you know, I have a, a decent memory. I'm going to forget things. I want my characters to remember the things that they need to remember. So I'd like you for the most part, I will write down the stuff that, you know, the notes that, that pertain to my character, what I need. However, at the same time, I also love a good story. And there might be bits that have nothing to do with me, but maybe tie into the grand scheme of, of, of a campaign arc or, you know, something along the lines of, uh, um, you know, another character's backstory that we're kind of learning about. And I want to be able to, you know, know that that Michelle's character was orphaned as a child, but there's these these things that are kind of leading towards the fact that her her dad might still be alive and he's actually the lord of this town. And I want to be able to go along on that journey and understand and care about it because of what I know. So 
again, doesn't pertain to my character at all, but this is how I'm going to be engaged in Michelle's story, in, in everything that she's doing by paying attention and not just being a selfish character. So again, there's definitely ways to do this. And I, I mean, right now, uh, like you, like me, like a lot of people, you know, you're, you're online playing right now. And if you're still writing notes, like in a journal or a notebook or whatever, props to you. Um, I type everything out and you know what? It's really easy to, to change text uh, to, you know, a different font, different color, anything along those lines or for things that are like super important, change the size on it. I mean, these are your notes. Do whatever you want to them so that you know, you know, how to find things easily. If you want to break it down by session, you can. If you want to have a summary at the beginning of each one, you can. If you want to literally write in character, which I do on one of my characters, and he is dumb as a pile of bricks, uh, to the point where I, <laughs> I misspell words. I, uh, I put wrong names down. In fact, there, there's someone in in uh, an NPC that I call Burpee because I don't know what his real. I, I honestly do not know what his real name is because this is what my character thinks his name is, <laughs> and so I will call him that. And it's just one of those things that for me, again, pulls me into it. It, it immerses me. And for that character, it's definitely more of a, this is what's going on in his mind. This is what he sees. This is his interpretation of what the rewards are or things that are happening. Whereas my plus five to hit character that I play as, I write down quite a bit more because that person is definitely with it. They know what's going on. And their entire purpose is to gather information and tell stories. So I need, want to make sure that I have at least the facts so that when I tell them, I can totally blow them out of proportion, but I have that <laughs> nugget of truth to begin with. So for those, again, I have, this pertains to me. In fact, there was a, a section where I went to bed and a whole bunch of stuff happened. I made note of it. My character has no clue that it happened. It's just one of the ways to, to really keep yourself engaged in the entire thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. And if that type of thing helps you stay engaged, especially, especially right now in an online world mm -hmm. where we don't really have the luxury as much of getting, getting together in person for a game, note taking can be a great way to keep yourself engaged, immersed, and interactive with the session when from an online perspective, let's just face it, there are a lot more distractions. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more potential distractions. And I, I love what you said, like right now online, I make notes in, in just a notepad I throw up or in like a Google Doc or something like that. I cannot wait to get back in person because one of the one of the players in, in one of the campaigns I run got everyone these sweet leather bound notebooks. Mm -hmm. I, and I I cannot wait to turn that into my DM notebook when we can start meeting together in person and I can start doing my my campaigns in person again. But right now it's just a lot harder to use that while doing all the computery stuff at the same time and it's much easier just to type a note here exactly but i'm uh, 
just one of those things like one of the soon as as soon as we can get back in person sessions i'm going to be writing notes in a notebook again because it helps me stay engaged a little more it makes me more attentive to the things that might be important or just jotting down down quick notes so mm-hmm. um and so one of the things that we should probably mention uh is what do you how do you know what to take notes on how do you know what's important um well, first off, as, as we said, anything that affects your character directly is a potential note yeah, or potential, potentially something you should write down. Um, names of cities, names of characters, especially if you know you're going to interact with them more than once, names of contacts from a, a quest or, or a mission or a job, you're doing um if you're just starting out names of your party members names of your party members very important so because one of the best things you can do and one of the things that i try to do as a dm is to call my players by their characters names Mm -hmm. while while we're playing the game so instead of saying hey sam you say uh you you call them hey drakthar drakthar yeah there you go brain brain fart some <laughs> some fantasy name uh but yeah just uh that because that can help immerse the players a little more um and it can help uh get everyone familiar with names so that they can then call each other their characters names as well so mm-hmm. that's helpful be sure to watch as a player for when the dm says you find this interesting or more directly, this is important. <laughs> or, or this looks unusual. Those types, look for those key phrases that DMs might use to point out a particularly interesting or a particularly important piece of information. Because those are also great candidates for, oh, this, this lore that are about to spout is apparently important. I should probably write, take, take some notes on this. Exactly. Um, other things that are very important, your inventory. Now, if you use D&D Beyond, it's great. It helps out a whole lot because a lot of those like actual in-game items or even some homebrew items that you created are available to your players. So they're able to, to put them in there. They can actually take like a plus one short sword and change the name to something like if they named it stupidly like you know betsy or something along those lines you know whatever it you can take that and just change the name to betsy it works trust me i've done it on my own character sheet um on top of that you know if you have a bag of holding they hold a lot of stuff and i will guarantee you that your dm does not know 90 percent of what's in there because you know what when you're looting corpses and there's really not much of notes there's a lot of trash that some players take there's a lot of trash that some don't um so you know make sure that you're you're keeping in mind how much of everything you have like if you have a bag of holding do you have 23 sets of leather armor that you pulled off of all of these bodies that you killed you know might be good to know um are you walking around carrying feathers from an owl bear you know, it just the, the tiniest little things, make sure you have a note of it because if it's not written down, 
it doesn't exist. Yeah, it is, and it, especially in this case, it is not the DM's job to, take, to keep track of your inventory or your money. Mm-hmm. It's not the DM's job. They have, they have plenty of stuff they're doing. So make sure that you write down, like Ben was saying, all your inventory stuff. You may surprise your DM later. <laughs> Oh yeah. You say, <laughs> yeah. Like, like one campaign, uh, a few sessions back, one of the players was just like, yeah, we've got the corpse of that kobold still in the bag of holding. And I was just like, no, you don't. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah, they would. They, they did say that they, they threw that, they threw old Rupp in the, in the bag of holding after they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so, going to be real nasty coming out now, though. Oh, we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so yeah, just stuff like that. But from a from a player perspective, that is your job. It's your job mm-hmm. to keep track of your money. It's your job to keep track of the stuff that the DM gives you, the stuff that you pick up, and so on and so forth. Because the DM can't be can't be taking care of that as well. Yeah, I'll tell you in my notes. Uh, once I give what they've looted, it's out of my hands. I don't know anymore. Yep. Yep. You, you forgot that you got that plus three beast axe of slang. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's also another thing I love about D and D beyond and having access to my players character sheets. Cause I can actually see how much money they actually have. And it really helps. I've given them a lot of money, but it makes sense for the things that they've looted that there would be a lot of money there. So yeah, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Um, all right. Any other, any other final, final note things? Um, just, you know what? Even if you're not a note taker, just try it. You know, that one time, 10 sessions from now when you need to look up something and you go scroll back and you find it and you realize that you wrote it down and you are so happy with past self, it will help you realize this is what I need to do. Trust us. Very well worth it. Yep. hundred percent. I think that's a, it's a good place to leave it off on. Yeah. So um, <laughs> thank you very much uh, for, from uh, major death on Twitter, who actually tweeted us the question. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's a great topic. Great topic. Because um, there's a lot of times new players that come in or even players that have been around for a while mm-hmm. who don't take notes or don't know to take notes. Um, and it can make things much harder than, than they should be. So mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind. It can be extremely helpful. Very much so. All right. So this week we also have some email questions we uh, wanted to get to. First off is from Nathan and says, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on homebrew rules. At what point do you switch? just switch to Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, GURPS, or a different RPG system? How much homebrewing is good for a group? Obviously, groups are subjective and circumstantially have different needs, but if you have any guidelines on adding homebrew to enrich your campaign or finding other ways to do it, I'd love to hear your advice. So Ben, why don't you why don't you start us off for, for that one? Okay, well, first of all, um, when it comes to you know, like overall systems, 
I really like fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm currently, you know, taking part in three different games. Um, it, it works well for a lot of majority reasons, but that is to say it's also not perfect. There are plenty of things that you can do to kind of either enhance, make things more exciting or anything along those lines with the homebrew rules. First and foremost, if you're the DM and you're going to be bringing any sort of homebrew rule into the mix, talk to your players first. Make sure that one, they understand it. Two, they agree with it because you don't really want to force something on someone, especially mid-game, if they didn't sign up for it. And three, that everybody understands that if it's a bad rule, it is more than okay to just throw it out. Um, in fact, uh, back on our our homebrew episodes, I think we've talked about it, you know, once or twice. Uh, some various homebrew rules or or bringing them in. Um, one that I think I talked about was uh, changing the way how the the death saving throws kind of works, but it's more along the lines of I don't want everybody at the table to know that. Okay, well, um, Jimmy over there has made one successful death save, so we know that we've got at least three rounds before we need to heal him. So I turned it into, okay, well, I'm going to roll for it so that no one will know what it is. I talked to a couple of my players about that. They didn't like the fact that it was taken out of their hands. So I'm like, okay. So then we kind of talked about it a little bit more and turned it into, they'll roll but they'll only tell me what they get that way the tension is still there but it's not taken out of player agency and because of that granted we haven't come across a ton of times where you know death saving throws actually came into play but because of that it it's still you know tension building but it it gives more you know, agency to the player still. And I think that's a a good way of going about it because, you know, I brought it up about maybe a year into our campaign, maybe a year and a half, something like that. And it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a, that's an absolutely great example. Um, Homebrew wise, I, I usually will keep that to the level of the group. It's a, if it's, a group of new players, I will probably keep the homebrew rules fairly light yeah. because they're just learning the basics. They're learning that type of stuff. Um, if it's a group that has played for a while, um, I'm much more apt to introduce homebrew rules or extras or stuff that uh, the players might think is interesting because they, they know the base rules for the most part. And so now it's, how do we, uh, can we can make certain things more interesting or can we make uh, certain things more fun? Uh, personally, I use a lot of, I mean, my world is homebrew. Yeah. I use a lot of homebrew items. Uh, homebrew rules, on the other hand, I haven't used necessarily a ton of that is just like straight up. I have, I have a small document that I usually give out um that is basically in this campaign here's a list of the homebrew rules that we're going to do usually it's not not very long i think right now it's basically uh the death death stuff is when a when an actual player character dies 
it, it's a little, it works a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. Potions that you take yourself for bonus action. That's a pretty common one. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a few rules about uh, like who can use spell scrolls just in general. Um, but not, not a ton of stuff um, to kind of, to kind of get to uh, the, the rest of your question. At what point do you just switch to a different system? Obviously five E it's specifically five E is an incredibly flexible system. It was mm-hmm. built like that. It was built to be modded. It was built to be added onto or removed from. I mean, heck, the designers have said multiple times, rules are guidelines. Like if you want to change a rule, that's your prerogative at mm-hmm. your table. It's, if everyone is good with it and you want to do it, do it. That's, that's how you do it. Like sometimes I would, I would say some of the ways I rule different things might be considered homebrew. If yeah. they're done in the moment or if someone asks me if they can do this, that, or the other, and I go, hmm, that's interesting. That's cool. Sure. I'll let you do that. Yeah. The and idea of the rule of cool versus as written. Exactly. And so there's, I think a lot of DMs do a lot of that type of thing without even thinking about it necessarily, but that Mm -hmm. is technically homebrewing or, or changing or adding rules. Um, There, there gets to a point when just talking about different systems and stuff, I think you have to go pretty far off the beaten path to really get to the point where you go, okay, 5e isn't doing it anymore. I can't make what I want to do work within this system mm-hmm. type thing. And so if you're getting to that point, like if you're like, I can't make good sci-fi work in this 5e system as, as an example or whatever. Okay, maybe I need to move to like Burn Bright or something as that's that's built for this science fiction spaceships all these rules for that type of that type of stuff or like if you're wanting to go uh more horror and you're not you're not feeling feeling it in 5e or you're not getting the desired results out of rules or additions you've added to it maybe call cthulhu is is the way to go and then there's there's a lot of other ones like, um, and we've talked about like Vampire the Masquerade before. Vampire the Masquerade is in, in its core a very political type game design. Uh, there is combat and such, but it's going to be much fewer and far between as a system than something like 5th edition usually is. And so if your players are wanting something like that, they don't want the combat or they don't want a lot of the combat or they want the combat to be, you know, very short, like as with 5e uh, or with D&D in general, it's, you know, the, the, the conversation or the, the travel or whatever that takes hours or days in game can take place in minutes but the combat that takes place in 18 seconds can take 
three or four hours. <laughs> and so if you're, if, if you're not wanting that type of a system and you're just like, I want a more political based game. I don't want a whole lot of combat or something. Maybe a system like vampire, the masquerade is more of a fit for that type of group than fifth edition. Not that fifth mm-hmm. edition can't be made to do that type of thing, but you may have to add on a ton of extra stuff. And then you just have to decide is it worth it for me to add all this on and keep track of, or do I want to go to a system that is more tailor made for this type of gameplay? Yeah. And like that being said, no system is perfect for exactly what you want to do. You're always going to bring some sort of homebrew rule or items or content or whatever into it. Because as soon as you stray from an an adventure path in any way, that's homebrew. So even if you're running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and someone walks into a bar and asks for a drink that's not on the menu, but you give it to them, that's homebrew. Um, That being said, like Ryan was saying, there's a lot of different systems out there that are designed more for different things. So, you know, if fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons doesn't work and you don't want, you know, like a, a fantasy setting or something along those lines, you can alter it, but again, doing your research into other systems that are available may be your best bet. Um, finding players might be a little bit more difficult just because D&D 5th edition is very popular right now, but there's always going to be players out there who are just wanting to play, who are just wanting to get into role play, roll some dice, whichever. So do what you are most comfortable with you know, with the amount of homebrew that you want to include if you're running, say, 5th edition, or if you want to run Vampire, but turn it into more of a, you know, a Dungeons & Dragons setting. You know, there's ways to do that as well. You know, you can always alter what you choose. It just comes down to the extent of which you want to alter it. Yeah, and and don't, and like, like Ben was saying, there's a lot of systems, so don't be afraid to do things based on the time you have to. Mm-hmm. There are, there are going to be groups that have the availability to do a campaign of D&D 5e and then hop to a campaign of Call of Cthulhu and then hop to a campaign of Pathfinder and then hop to a campaign of Burnbright or something like that. And it's no big deal. They've mm-hmm. got the, the time and the availability to learn these different things. Um, 5e is honestly pretty great just as, as a general thing, because it is fairly extensible. So if you do want to do something different, you usually can find a way to do it somewhat within that same system. And if that's all you have time for, that's fine. If that's all your group has time to learn, that's fine. There are totally ways to do that. So you just have to kind of weigh those options as well. Exactly. All right. I think... Hopefully that's, that covered that uh, well for you, Nathan. Um, second, we have Marie, and she says, what online resources do you visit regularly when looking for monsters, items, spells, and other tidbits to add to your games? What sites do you look for when you Google? What search terms do you use? Uh, do you have tips and tricks for using the internet to prep for games? You know... I know that you have a much better answer for this than I do. So I'm just going to jump in really quick and I'm going to say uh, I use almost exclusively D&D Beyond because 
I have all the content unlocked and it is a plethora of information. And if I'm going through and I'm looking for a, a, you know, some sort of monster to, to put in, I have a lot of different options. And if I don't find something that really fits what I need, I just play around with it and start reskinning it into something that, that will work for me. Um, because I use D and D beyond and because, you know, we use it for my, my players. So much of it is readily just accessible to them. There's a lot of homebrew stuff that's, you know what, if I need some sort of zombie that's very specific in some way, there's actually a pretty decent chance that someone else has needed that too. And they're going to jump in and create it as well. And a lot of that is catalog. So you can kind of browse through looking through different keywords, just fun stuff like that. Um, Other than that though, I do have to say that, and this is so dumb, but the biggest online resource that I use other than D and D beyond is fantasy name generator because guess what i am horrible at coming up with a whole bunch of different names of of cities of characters of monsters of whatever and that thing has saved my bacon so many times i have an entire continental map where a good chunk of those names are from that place yeah no i second fantasy name generator it is it is perfect <laughs> I love it so much. I, I've used, used it many times. In, in fact, uh, I know we've talked before in our prep session um, to have like name lists and stuff. That's a great place to add on to your elf name list, dwarf name list, mm-hmm. human name list, dragonborn name list, all that, that type of stuff. It's a great way to, to get some of that. Um, I will also second D&D Beyond. They have a lot of great homebrew stuff. They have a lot of uh, people who are making items, who are making spells, who have made monsters uh, that you can just easily grab for free uh, and use. Um, Site-wise, again, I will continue to shout out DMs Guild. Mm -hmm. There is a ton of people making a ton of great content on that. Some of it free, some of it pay what you want, some of it, you know, ranging anywhere from one to like, $20, $25, but it can be absolutely fantastic supplemental content. I have bought several things from there that I use in my campaigns uh, that has been super helpful. Uh, Search terms, I mean, it it all depends what you're looking at. You you can search for uh, D&D monsters. You can search for... Oh, do do a search for whatever monster name you want stat block there's a yeah. lot of people out there who have just like who just created and created their own stat blocks with art and everything uh do me a favor just look up uh actual cannibal shia labeouf stat yep. block that is the thing it's a great thing too. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like uh using internet for prep uh so what I do personally when I, especially for, for online games right now, I basically have my entire folder structure and drive. I'll have a tab up for that. I'll have a tab up for the player notes and the DM notes. Player notes are the ones that I read back to them at the beginning of, a, of a, the next session that I, that I kind of 
wrote down or bullet pointed or whatever. And then my DM notes are my private notes that have uh, all the, the information I need for the session. Then I'll have D&D Beyond up, I'll have the encounter tracker up for anything that I combat that might end up happening. Um, from a DM's guild perspective, if I'm using like stat blocks or something, I'll have PDFs up that I can use. Uh, if you're running a virtual tabletop like Foundry or Roll20, uh, or something like that, or Fantasy Grounds, then you can have have that up on the side as well. So with with any maps you find, there are uh, that's that's actually if if you like to use those types of virtual tabletops, there are tons of sites that uh, you can just search for D and D battle maps oh, yeah. on Google. You'll find all sorts of stuff all sorts of stuff. You won't even have to make your own. Like people have made <laughs> so many things that you can just throw into, into your tabletop, mm-hmm. uh, virtual tabletop of choice and just, and just use there's, there's a ton of free ones. There are like Patreons that are dedicated to just making virtual maps monthly that you can just get and download uh, when you, when you become a patron. So uh, just stuff like that. That's what I would probably recommend. Yeah. And I mean, I do, uh, I, for some reason, I don't know why I don't use Google drive a lot more. I really should. Um, but you know, I use a lot of word files and ex- like I, my initiative is on an Excel sheet because you know, I can put in a cell what someone rolled and their name next to it. And I can keep track of like status effects and health and, and everything along those lines, just in those. I can do it on Google Drive. You can too. Anybody can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all, all my session notes, I, I write up in a Word doc. In fact, I've got um, quite a bit of Word docs set up. Uh, 39 of them actually. Of Just each session has its own. So I can kind of go back and get a feel of where things were, when they happened, if I need to. Um, one thing that I actually really recommend, and I am incredibly sorry to my cleric for not taking more advantage of this and, and, uh, interacting more with it. But OneNote is absolutely fantastic. He's gone in and set up a ton of different information. He's actually put in a lot of time and effort into, you know, putting like character names in talking about the towns, the places, um, and, Uh, there's a place there for all of the, the session like opening narrations that I do, which I've started going through and editing, but I haven't put anything actually on the one note. I'm horrible and lazy and I'm sorry, but you know, that, that is a a resource that's available to everybody if they need. Um, But I mean, my own personal setup, other than like the Excel and the the word files, I'll pull up D and D beyond, like uh, pull up the different monster stat blocks. If I have, um, some interesting homebrew items that I want to refer to. I, I make sure that I have kind of those pulled up in a different tab because, you know, when you hand out a homebrew item, it's a good idea to know how to spell it so that people can actually pull it up, but also, you know, give descriptions and, and things like that. And again, anytime I need, I've got the internet right there. Just pull up whatever I want right away. In fact, like people might, really want to hurt me for saying this, but I like playing online because I have everything at my fingertips this way and I don't need to account for it in some sort of paper form. No, and you know, that's fine. It is fine if you like playing online. Well, it is certainly much more convenient. Don't get me wrong. 
I probably would like to have like a laptop with all this information in front of me and playing. That's what I do. Like that's, (laughs) That's I don't have, I don't have a laptop, so I've had to use an iPad for it. But like, I mean, I wish I could play in person, but it's one, it's not feasible. And two, I have players who don't live in the same city. So it kind of, you know, makes sense. Um, But overall, I mean, just pull up the information that you need, do what you can to prep. And you know what? The thing that I want to say most, what works for you works for you. And, you know, getting ideas from other people, seeing how other people have their setup can definitely help, but sometimes it might not work as well for you as it does for them. Yep. Just find, find your groove. Exactly. Find, yeah. Find, find the setup that works well for you and then, and then run with it. Yeah. 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 Um, before we jump into our final segment, Tasha's has been out. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the brand new uh, source mm-hmm. book, has been out for uh, just a bit now. So I thought we would just kind of real briefly talk, what is, what is like your number one favorite thing from Tasha's? Oh, okay. So I am actually a really big fan of the optional class features. It is the coolest thing that has been added now now not everybody i'm looking at you artificers um have optional class features but uh the one that i'm going to pull out more than anything else is for the bard it's for a level two bard uh in fact so i asked the bard in my party hey do you want this feature and she thought about it and she said why wouldn't i want this feature so it's magical inspiration so here's the thing. If a creature has a bardic inspiration die from you and casts a spell that restores hit points or deals damage, the creature can roll that die and choose a target affected by the spell. Add the number rolled as bonus to the hit points regained or the damage dealt. And then that, that bardic inspiration die is lost. And I love this. Super I think cool. it is one of the best ways to accent bardic inspiration and have it be used because there are a lot of times that bards will give inspiration out and it's never used because either people are rolling high enough so that, you know, they don't really need to, or it just gets forgotten. So this gives them just another way to have that very important resource uh, at, at hand so that they can actually play around with it. Yeah. I, I, I think the optional class features or the replacement class features are super cool. Mm-hmm. Super, super cool. Um, for me, I really liked the uh, magical terrain or the the um, environmental effects. That's my second one. That's what I was going to say. Super cool stuff that gives a lot of really good ideas and mechanics to different types of environmental effects. Be they like magic storms, you know, earthquakes, whatever that that type of thing. Uh, huge storms. That can be that can be super helpful, and that can be super cool for giving inspiration for creating areas and stuff. So that that's really cool. And then sidekicks, mm-hmm. I love that they fleshed out the sidekick system because not only do you now have this really cool template for turning stuff into sidekicks, um, or the whole scaling from from one to twenty for sidekicks. Now you have simplified characters if you want to take some brand new people and throw them into a game, you can 
basically just give them each a sidekick character now. Much easier to keep track of, less stuff to, to have to worry about, and a great way to just learn the game in like a one-shot or something. Mm-hmm. Or you can take a sidekick as a DM, and you can now have a NPC stat block super easily. Just exactly. boom, right there. I need a level 10 uh, magic user or a level 10 fighter or something that this NPC who's with the party is. Boom. There's the, the simplified system. You got the hit points. You've got a few abilities. Uh, you've got their armor class and stuff. And there you go. Didn't have to do hardly any work. So mm-hmm. that's, I, I really liked that as a feature. It's pretty good. Um, and then just two other things I want to shout out really quick. I, I mean, basically we're going to cover the whole book at some points because, you know, we just keep calling stuff out, but these are things that people have been doing for a long time that it seems as though finally uh, officially Dungeons and Dragons is saying, Hey, it's cool if you do this. And uh, one of them is personalizing spells. So you know what your, your yeah, magic missile, cool. maybe not darts, maybe uh, the example that they have, Maybe you have three chickens that go out and, and hit, their, hit the enemy. Who knows? Um, it's something I absolutely love that, uh, for that because it, it lets the player be creative and really kind of think about the, the tone and feel of their character and what or how magic would be represented by them. And then the other one is parlaying with monsters. It's a simple concept, but some people might think that you know, oh, you can't do this because, you know, it's combat. But no, parlaying with monsters gives you a chance to, you know, sidestep combat or end combat or, you know, talk to the goblins to to make sure that, hey, we why are we f- even fighting here? Or, you know, um, again, picture example, there's there's uh, two adventurers who are trying to feed an owlbear some meat. Why attack the owlbear when you can just give him a steak? <laughs> give give them a stake. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think that's a that's actually a cool part. It's 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 really fun to have situations or just make it clear to your characters or your players that not everything necessarily has to be combat. Mm-hmm. Not every encounter needs to end in combat. Exactly. Sometimes that you can have just as much fun or do super cool things through uh, some sort of social type encounter yeah fun stuff all right if you haven't picked it up and you're a big D person check it out there's a lot of really good stuff in that book definitely okay so we have arrived so before before we end let's talk briefly about what we're doing in our games and then yeah. things happened yeah things, things happened, happened. W- what specifically did happen i don't know why don't you tell me? <laughs> okay. Um, so if you recall last session uh, that we talked about, my players got a house. It was their reward for gathering all these, these missing lost orbs that, uh, you know, the, this cult was going after that, that are rumored to bring back a demigod. Right. So they, they, they got to their house. They, you know, had a nice party. Then the next morning hits and their, their uh, magic shop owner, buddy, uh, who stayed the night, who, you know, got totally sloshed the night before, was up reading because she's an elf and, you know, they only need four hours to meditate. So she was able to get through the, oh, did I tell you about the the skin book? I don't think I did. I don't think so. 
Yeah. So the book that the beholder was uh, reading from, you know, a couple sessions back, um, leather bound in a whole bunch of different patchwork colors of skin. Um, the, the ink was seemingly, you know, potentially blood, you know, a couple different colors, you know, green, red. So gross, disturbing book written in a language that no one understood. So of course, you know, my, my magic-y person uh, used comprehend languages and spent a long time going through it. I understood that it was uh, almost as if like some sort of index or catalog of all the different worlds that this demigod had created and then destroyed in its search for perfection. And it talked about like, you know, a, 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 the listing of a world and then all the different imperfections that were in it. And then like the, the time length that it actually existed. And, and uh, it got to the point where some of these imperfections were becoming like just incredibly nuanced, like a butterfly. The left wing is not as symmetrical as it should be to the right wing. Um, flower has six petals instead of five, you know, like, like normal mutations that would happen in life except they were seen as flaws. So the world's destroyed, rebuilt, trying to become more perfect. And just because of butterflies. Well, a butterfly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the, it, it finally got to a point where just the cycle of, of creation and destruction was happening so often that one, you know, there, there's speak of betrayal against this, this demigod. And so the demigod was brought before the pantheon to talk about the newest world. And that's when they took it and its architects and locked them in the abyss. And then it, it, it also talks about uh, the orbs uh, about, you know, summoning this demigod back into, into the reality, uh, promising power, promising perfection. So essentially bring him back. You're going to get unlimited power. You're going to get immortality. You're going to be in a perfect world because it's going to destroy it and create a new one for you. And so as she's talking or as everybody's kind of waking up and, you know, sitting around their, their new sitting area and, and having breakfast and, and she's kind of conveying all this cleric notices it's still really dark outside and it's getting to be, you know, 10, 11, almost noon. And then there's an earthquake and a pulse of psychic energy comes, you know, engulfs the entire city and he goes outside and five different points around the city have beams of, of energy shooting into the center of town where the temple of Bahamut is. And in the book, it had talked about taking the, the charged spears to the five points. And there was a map of the region. Unfortunately, it looks like the five points were actually located in the city that were actually at some obsidian uh, altars that were spread around the city that they kind of had a close interaction with one of them, but never really investigated it. So... You know, they did what heroes do, got geared up, grabbed their stuff, uh, made sure the horses were safe and uh, ran off to the nearest, uh, the, the nearest thingy altar. I couldn't remember the word for a second. So here's the thing. These otherworldly like tentacles started popping out of the ground. There were cultists everywhere and they went through and fought through them. 
And it was a fantastic fight. I think one of the best tuned ones that I've had so far, at least I thought so. Uh, they were taking some damage by, obviously they won because it's, you know, I, I didn't want them to die. It's not a, a challenge. Uh, I mean, it was challenging. There's a good chance that, you know, if someone actually gotten close enough to one of the tentacles and I was successful in picking him up that they could have really gotten hurt. But luckily nobody did. They were able to take care of two of the three of them at range, which worked out pretty well. Then uh, they kept going towards the altar. And when they were a ways away, they saw that one of the orbs was sitting on the altar. So my cleric pissed off that one of the orbs was not safe in the vault inside the temple, just chucked a fireball right at everything. Immediately destroyed some of the cultists. And it was a pretty decent fight there. In fact, it was, uh, they went up against someone called the Raven, who was the leader of this gang from the town of Sunsets that they had almost, well, they, they crashed his party. This is, did I ever talk about the, uh, the time that they let a young triceratops and a griffin out that fought each other in the middle of this dinner party as they infiltrated and tried to steal something from a vault? I don't think so, but that sounds crazy. Oh, it was pretty great. It's pretty great. <laughs> so anyways, it, it was uh, his party that they had crashed. Uh, they actually stole a, a, a trophy that he had that was actually holding one of the orbs. But the thing is, is the old... Um, uh, warlock that we used to have in the party took the orb out of the the trophy no one in the party knew about that <laughs> so it's pretty great anyways so uh they took they ended up taking care of him and uh finally matilda the, the the magic shop owner said okay i have a way of getting us into the temple because a a energy shield had appeared around it you know because this demigod's coming back you can't just walk right in and just stop it protected so she created a teleportation circle they walked into it to go into the basement of the temple and the session ended oh yeah some big so, big stuff happening so uh yeah they got to make their way through the temple to get to a uh still still kind of cooking still forming demigod who's uh coming back to this to the material plane and i am excited that's a big rut row. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to say how the orbs or anything were taken from the temple because they haven't discovered that yet. They don't know what's going on. They are wondering who betrayed them. In fact, they before they went in, they scried at one of the high priests who was inside essentially being tortured by being taken apart and put back together again just over and over again, trying to become more perfect and she's not feeling too hot yeah 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 Ooh. so who knows what they're gonna find when they get in there who knows i do you do oh gosh and oh, you know a little bit of it because i shared I something do. with you i do <laughs> i do that's i that's that's a that's a big big piece of dm by dm advice dms mm-hmm. find yourself a DM friend that doesn't play in a game that you DM. Yes. yes. Like it's if you both play the same game, that's fine. But find DMs, find yourself another another DM friend who doesn't play in a game that 
either of you are DMing. Exactly. I got some then incredibly you can good feedback. Yes, you can share stuff back and forth because as, as a DM, there are so many times where it's just like, I want to tell my players these things. Or there's so much <laughs> like behind the scenes stuff where it's just like, I worked so hard for this reveal or that reveal or this thing was totally off the cuff and it just ended up being this really awesome, awesome deal that everyone liked and whatnot. And so it, it, fight the urge, keep the magic, find yourself another DM who will appreciate this and then you can gush all that stuff too. And like Ben said, it's great to have someone else who can provide feedback for you. Mm-hmm. So let's say, hey, I'm, hey, Ben, I'm looking to use this monster. It's a totally custom stat block for these four or five characters. What do you think of this? Is this overpowered? Is this underpowered? Is this not interesting? Is this, does this look fun? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. And you can get that sort of feedback without having to, to spoil things. Exactly. It, it's super important because uh, as, as I've talked about many times before, balance is something that I'm, I struggle with. And I wanted to make sure that this was going to be a challenging encounter coming up that isn't over in one round, that has some real stakes to it. And I, like I said, I got some really good feedback from Ryan and I'm going to be, you know, I've already implemented it into the design and another thing too, this is, this is a big thing that's coming up. Uh, I'm constantly reworking it in my head until they get there. And I like some of the stuff I've come up with. We'll see. I hope they do, <laughs> but it, it, it's one of those things where uh, like, Hey, do you think this ability is weird or wrong? And the feedback I got from it was, okay, just, pay attention to it because it could completely turn things around and it it worked really well having that sort of input. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad that it, uh, it was helpful. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to hear, (laughs) hear about that one. Uh, I am so looking forward to it because uh, yeah. And players, you're in for a treat. I hope so. I really hope so. It's going to be good stuff. Um, So for me, uh, I had, my second campaign uh, have a session this uh, this past Saturday, and they had just gotten back from uh, getting out of this this dwarven undercity. They've got their their quarry that they need to to drop off in a town. The the spoiled the spoiled rich kid essentially, and uh, the the uncle who has to put up with them <laughs> and a few <laughs> few extra miners and that's that's been a kind of a fun a fun little relationship that's been developing as we have this like life cleric who's all about death, and so it makes for a really <laughs> funny like dichotomy, and so he's just like the 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 kind of the person who will like talk to himself and just make super weird awkward comments sometimes about things and so he's really put this this like young spoiled noble off his off balance so that's that's been really funny um along along the way uh my my wife who plays uh plays the wizard in that campaign uh finally got uh leoman's tiny hut oh, so nice. now they have something for travel everyone was super excited 
excited about that. It was fun how she kind of revealed that. And um, they, as, as I mentioned earlier, they pulled out a kobold that they killed who was uh, the kind of the uh, servant of this green dragon. Um, they pulled him out. What was left of him after several weeks of rotting in their, their bag of holding. And they s- did a speak with dead. Oh, on it. oh. So that, that was super, super interesting. Uh, and the cleric asked the right question and got a big old lore dump uh, for an item that he had found in that uh, dragon's lab, essentially in that dragon's workshop. So that was, that was really kind of interesting because wasn't quite expecting, expecting that to come up, but that was, that was super fun. Um, And got to do a little bit with the, the Raven queen. So that was, that was kind of cool. Very cool. Cool too. Um, so that's uh, so that was that, and then they ended up along the road the next day, running into this menagerie that was in the process of being stopped by this bandit group. Um, a lot of bandits. There's like twelve, thirteen of them. Oh wow! And they were they were just they were stopping them, and they're just like, "This is a toll road, guys." <laughs> and so the party came up, and they're just like awesome this is a toll road so we need tolls from both sets of you and they they talked a little bit and tried to try to negotiate and the party tried to tell them you know you don't want to mess mess with us right now (laughs) and they didn't listen so (laughs) their leader got destroyed in one round before he could pretty much do anything and so it, it was a it was a super fun combat encounter because there were like uh, lower level casters involved on the, on the bandit side. Cause mm-hmm. I haven't really thrown much in the way of magic users against, against this party yet. And so it was kind of interesting because uh, their ranger got charmed. Oh. <laughs> and so, and so uh, just due to the way things worked out because it was a charm in combat and because uh, her party members were killing her new friends mm-hmm. uh and not stopping uh she tried to stop the party <laughs> with arrows <laughs> um so that was that was really funny and then and that turned into a whole thing where um the our ranger has an item this quiver that allows you to draw poisoned arrows out of it that let you know shoot poison arrows and get some extra damage in uh the the quiver hurts you though in the morning oh for a certain amount of poison damage by being attuned to it so it's in some ways a little bit of a cursed item gotcha um but the benefits outweigh the damage almost almost always because you'll be able to dish out a lot more damage than you than you took especially Mm -hmm. if you roll low this that that morning they had rolled a six on the damage which had dropped them down to 45 hit points um as they had started attacking the uh fighter barbarian that was doing by far the most the most damage and the most the most killing uh our wizard was just like oh no this is this is not good 
and cast sleep at third level on the ranger Ooh. as they were as they were mopping up and you know uh getting rid of all the things um because the ranger had just seen the person who charmed her die oh and so that my, induced my good buddy is dead yeah, oh that crap quite a bit of quite a bit of rage uh, because charm person interestingly not concentration lasts for an hour so unless you like dispel it or whatever you've got an hour it's it's going so that that made her really mad that they killed a good <laughs> friend and so the wizard is just like we need to do something about this so cast sleep third level I think it's like 8d8 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, rolls exactly 45. Oh. The, literally the exact amount of HP the ranger had because the ranger took some damage that morning from the quiver. So that was, everyone went crazy. That was just like a, oh my gosh, one in a million, perfect, like perfect roll, exactly what he need. Knocks the ranger out. They tie her up. They meet the, they, they kind of figure out what had happened, that, mm-hmm. that, that she was charmed. Um, they meet the, the menagerie leader who's going to the same town that they are to drop their, their people off. So they're going to travel together. Um, <laughs> but right before they left, the ranger, rogue, uh, multi-class, messages me and is just like, I want to try and get out. <laughs> that I'm put in. And I'm just like, okay, okay, you're, you're ranger and rogue class. I'll, I'll give you a chance. They, they, they said they tied you up pretty good. So, but from a charm perspective, you're wanting to, I, I get it. You're wanting to, to run away now from these, these people that are just been killing, um, not in a, not in the right, right state of mind. So I was like, okay, I'll give you a chance. DC 25. They rolled a, <laughs> a sleight of hand to, to get out. They rolled a 28. Oh, and then a 20 something stealth afterwards which is much higher than all the other people's passive perceptions who are talking to this menagerie oh yeah and so i'm not like they they they're done they look around and like she's gone and everyone's (laughs) just like what we tied her up and everything and and she's just laughing it's just so funny (laughs) and so it just ended up that she basically had to do the walk of shame 45 minutes later and so they 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 kind of halfway tracked her down a little bit but essentially you know 45 minutes later she came back and was just like mm, that's sorry amazing about that. <laughs> it, was, it was it was super funny it was it was hilarious it was just like they they weren't gonna have really any tr- these were just bandits mm-hmm. like like they are they're a little beyond that yeah even a, for the a, amount of them they're yeah from a skill perspective they're they're a little beyond that they were just taking them taking them down left or right the others just fled but just the way it ended up working out it, it made it memorable it made it funny um and so now uh now they're continuing on so 
Very that'll cool. be that'll be a fun little thing. And then tomorrow night, I have my final session of the year for my my first campaign as they begin to do recon and plan out strategically how the heck they're gonna pull off this counterattack to stop whatever is going on with all these sacrifices and the feeding of the souls to this large hovering chunk of the city surrounded by this black orb. Oh, they kind of found out, they found out some names of some of the people, some descriptions of some of the, the leaders and some of the creatures and leaders that came out of this hellish portal that originally opened up. Um, the monk found out that uh, actually an old arch enemy of his is there assisting so personal stakes in it for him uh when all this is happening so a a lot of uh, this next session is really going to be interesting to see what happens and if they are good enough to not tip their hand uh, with with all the stuff that's going on right now, yeah. what kind of plan they come up with? Can they get the city, the the capital city's buy-in enough to send the troops to make the frontal assault so that they can be the precision strike force uh, into into the main part? So should be should be interesting. Should be good. I'm excited for that. That's very good. I'm happy for you. It sounds like you've got some uh, some really good stuff brewing as well. Yes. They, we're both we're both coming to some like climactic oh, stuff yeah. around about the same time. It'll be it'll be good. Yeah, I figure I've got I mean um we're gonna have to push back our next session a little bit, which nobody knows about yet, so I'm gonna let them know tomorrow. <laughs> but, <laughs> um yeah, it looks like uh I've got probably one session before the end of the year and then Oh, might be able to play the second of January. I don't know. Just ring, ring in the new year, right away. That's right. Ah, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's it for us tonight. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for for listening. Episode thirty-five. Man, feels like time's just just flying. But exactly having like, having a lot of fun. Yesterday we started. Yeah, I know. Kind of like it's how been, campaigns go. <laughs> it's 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 been it's been a year that's felt very long and very short all at the same time. Exactly. Um, but before we get out of here, real quick, Ben, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? Uh, well, if you're looking to reach out, uh, much like uh, Nathan and Marie did, you can always send us an email. Send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Or if you want to reach out like Major Death did, we are on Twitter at dndiscussions. Now, if you're looking for me specifically on Twitter, I am at Ben Bumhofer. And Ryan, if people are looking for you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZor. Exactly. Now, if this is the first episode that you've ever heard of DN Discussions and you thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I wonder if they've done more. Well, we just said this is episode 35. So yes, there are 34 more episodes found on dndiscussions.com as well as on uh, Google and iTunes or whatever the heck they're called these days. I don't know, but we're all over the place. So wherever you listen to this one, you'll be able to find all of the other ones as well. 
Now, if you want to know what it's like for us to actually be playing in Dungeons and Dragons, you can always listen to us on Plus Five to Hit. It is a persistent campaign that uh, our newest arc has just started within the last couple episodes. So check out Plus Five to Hit, uh, where we actually play brother and sister. Yeah. Ah. I'm really enjoying that campaign. It's a lot of fun. It's I, a lot of fun. I like. I own the, the the book, and I really want to read and look through *Rime of the Frost Maiden*, but I'm not. I'm gonna wait till the campaign's over, and then really take a, a deep dive into there and, and have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. No. It's uh, if you if you're looking for another more more like actual play content, that's a that's a super fun one. We're all we're all having a blast playing that and. You don't have to listen to a whole lot to get got up to, to current. Yeah, exactly. So, good time to jump in. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that is it for us for this episode. Uh, again, thanks for listening. And everyone, take care. Yep. Until next time, be good to each other. <laughs>